This is the Green Student Ministries High School Podcast of the Chapel in Green. We are committed to our students being known, knowing Jesus, and becoming kingdom workers. We hope this podcast serves to encourage, challenge, and to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. This is Green Student Ministries. Well, hey, go ahead and grab your seats, and uh, as you do, go ahead and squeeze to the middle if you can, because there's some people in the back who are looking for seats, and if they can grab them on the edges, it will make it way easier. And so, um, hey, if it's your first time here, you haven't been here in a while, I want to welcome you. My name is Ryan. Um, really glad that you guys have joined us this morning, um, especially a shout out to each and every one of you um, who were at Lake Homecoming last night and also here this morning. Was it a good time last night? All right, doesn't sound like, you know, it's okay. Sounds fantastic. Uh, but thank you guys for, for getting up early to get in here after a, a hopefully a long night of dancing appropriately um, and, uh, and, and having fun with your friends uh, and your classmates. But um, we are going to continue in on this series that we've been working through um, for the, the, the last couple of weeks, really, as we have gotten into this school year. Um, this series that we're calling Hail the King. Um, and last week, if you were in a small group or you are a part of a small group, um, you have read what we're going through today. Um, you have already read that. You have gone through, you've made observations, you've made interpretations, and you have found application for your life as we're working through this inductive study that we launched to go along with this series. And so, hey, here's the one thing I want to let you know. If you are not a part of a small group, but you say, hey, Ryan, I want to follow along with that study, please let myself know um, or Betsy, who in the back of the room or any adult in this room, let them know that you want to be a part of that so we can print off one of those studies so that you can read along and follow along um, in this inductive study that we're doing. Um, and so the plan and the purpose for that is for you to get into God's word, to begin to understand what God's word is calling us to do so that you can begin to implement that into your life, become more like the person of Jesus Christ, but also so that you can go through that through the week so that we can discuss it in here on Sunday morning. So hopefully um, you can have a well-rounded um, understanding of what God's word is telling us to do. Not what we think he's calling us to do, but we can know exactly what God is calling us to do. And so um, if you followed along this week, let me give you um, a big golden star because this week was not an easy week to really just jump into. Um, if you worked through it this week and you got into your study every day this week or you found a way to, to work it into your schedule, I want to thank you because this week was not the easiest of weeks to really jump into. It was a little bit hard to navigate through, but I believe that if you put in the hard work of it, we will begin, um, if you have not seen it already, you will begin to see the fruit of that work um, coming alive in your life and in those around you. <clears throat> and so here's what I would love for you to do. If you have a Bible, I hope you do. If you have your study, go ahead and open that up. Um, today we're going to be in 2 Samuel. Actually, we're going to be in 1 Samuel for about 30 seconds, um, and then we're going to transition right into 2 Samuel. But right now, go ahead and open it up. For most of you, it should be on both pages. 1 Samuel, the end of that, and 2 Samuel, the beginning of that. And as you flip there, I want you to focus in on 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, because that's the focus of this morning. That's the focus of this week as we look into God's Word. So this is what 2 Samuel says. 
verse 11 of chapter 1. It says, Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Let's pray. Father God, Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the students that you have called here that, that, that have shown up this morning, Father. Um, thank you that you are a loving God who just cares about us so deeply. And so, Father, as we look into your word this morning, it's my prayer that we would begin to allow your spirit to work in and through us, that our character would shine through, Father, that the, the depths of our hearts would be just overtaken by you, Father, that we would look to you and through that we would better understand what you're calling us to do, how you're calling us to live our lives externally, but also internally, Father, that we would see what our heart is developing and, Father, that it would look less like the world and look more like your son, Jesus. So, Father, be with us this morning as we're working through your word. Help us to understand what you are calling us to do. Uh, Father, that we would go into this world and that we would do it. And through that, Father, people would see the hope that exists in you, that we would believe that the hope is real, that we would know it within our bones, and that others around us would want to experience that hope as well. So, Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for these moments that we get to share together and spend with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So um, for some of you um, who have been in and around, I have uh, a, a dog that you may or may not know. His name is Crosby. Um, Crosby G, as some people call him. Um, but he is an 85-pound yellow lab who is nine years old. But he's still got the spirit of a three-year-old dog. Like He is not afraid um, to play and play hard. He's not afraid to, to fetch the ball. Um, and he is also not afraid to get in trouble. And um, in the Shumway household, there's this definition of character. We have, a, we have a definition of character, and character is who you are when no one is watching. That's our definition of character. Character is who you are when no one is watching. And so one of the things that we say about Crosby is he's the best dog in the world, but he has terrible character. Because uh, just, as, just as past week, my mom was picking up Finley, taking her off the school bus, and she got into her house and opened it up, and she sent me 11 different pictures of her walking through the house where Crosby had gotten into our pantry. I mean, he had pulled out granola bars and um, breakfast bars and all kinds of different food, and there was different places along the house where my mom was walking through, and she found wrappers um, of these granola bars, and she found um, some, some, some snacks that were hidden for later because he must have gotten full. Um, so much that that night, um, Emily had come here for, for midweek and she, my mom had dropped off dinner. And um, in, a, in a moment of frustration, or not frustration, in a moment of uh, just complete um, craziness because Emily is responsible for getting all the kids here because I'm at community groups, she forgot to take the dinner and put it in the fridge. And so we got home that night to a Pyrex, which is like a glass bowl, shattered into no less than 43 billion pieces, and the rice and chicken dish all over the floor, and blood everywhere. Don't feel bad for my, don't feel bad for this dog. Do not feel bad. Crosby has terrible character, because he gets into the most trouble when no one is watching. 
Like when we look at character, if we understand character is who you are when no one is watching, or character is the depths of your heart, the things that only you think to yourself, not so much the thinking, but the actions, Crosby is absolutely bankrupt when it comes to character. Because when no one is watching, he is the world's worst dog. And I think that this idea of character, this definition of character, this example of my nine-year-old lab, I think when we look at it and we compare it to our lives and we look into God's word, we start to see that character is valid and character is incredibly important in our lives. And I think when we really reflect upon it, we realize where our character is, whether we like it or not. We have to come to terms with the reality of where our character is. And I think we see an example of what godly character looks like in the life of David this morning. And so what happens? How do we reflect? How do we identify what our character really is in our lives? I think as we look into God's word, I think we begin to see some examples of what good character is. And it gives us an opportunity to reflect on our actions and our motives in our own lives to identify where we are in our pursuit of godly character. And so what I want to do is look into, to, to go back one, uh, one page to 1 Samuel chapter 31, just to give some, some, um, some clarity as to coming off from last week. So last week we saw that Saul um, met with this psychic, this witch, this medium at Endor, and she summoned up the, um, the spirit of Samuel. And Samuel said, hey, it's over for your, your, king, your kingdom, your reign will end. By this time tomorrow, you will be dead along with your sons. And so just to bring some, some um, closure to that, go ahead and look at chapter 31, 1 Samuel, it says this, now the Philistines were fighting against Israel and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Adibnabab and Malachit Shua, the sons of Saul. And the battle pressed hard against Saul and the archers found him and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore, Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men all on the same day together. And so we see here that the prophet Samuel once again told Saul his future and we see that the kingdom and the reign of Saul has ended. The first king of Israel is now dead and we know, I don't know if Saul fully understood this or the people of Israel, but we know that the next king in line is none other than David. Israel's greatest king is about to come into his reign. Saul is dead. The disappointment of the hope of a quality of a good, godly king has died, and the nation of Israel looks ahead to figure out what's next. And so this is where we jump into 1 Samuel. So this is what it says, 1 Samuel chapter 1. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, David returned, uh, remained two days in Ziklag. 
And on the third day, behold, a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. And when he came to David, he fell on the ground and paid homage. So we got to see up there at first, we see, um, we see that, that David is out fighting the Amalekites. Um, this is an observation that I made this week as I was looking into this, is that it's constantly pointing back to David's success as a warrior, as a seasoned warrior. The other thing, too, is, is, is God's word is rich, especially in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, reflecting it is rich in symbolism. And so as the author of 2 Samuel is telling us these things, that he is a great warrior, it is pointing to the, to the anointing of David, and it is also pointing, coming right off, right on the heels of Saul's death, that Saul was not as great of a king as David is going to be. And so we see, it says, after the death of Saul, when David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, yes, he's a, he's a good warrior. It's showing the favor that God is placing on David's life simply because of the anointing and the following that David has pursued in becoming more like who we will know as Jesus. We see characteristics of Jesus in David here. And so it goes on. Verse 3, so David said to him, where did you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, how did it go? Tell me. And he answered, the people fled from the battle, and also many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. Then David said to the young man uh, who, who told him, how do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? The young man said to him, By chance I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, and there was Saul leaning on his spear. And behold, the chariots and the horsemen were close upon him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me, and he called to me, and I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? And I answered, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me, Stand beside me and kill me, for anguish has seized me, and yet my life still lingers. So I stood beside him and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm, and I brought them here to my Lord. And so we see this interaction that, that David has. First, we, first thing I want to point out right there at the end of verse 2 is it says that this man comes, comes from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dirt on his head, and when he came to David, he fell on the ground and paid homage. So one of the things that you need to understand is this is a symbol. This is the thing that people did in biblical times to mourn. They would tear their clothes and they would put dirt on their heads. They would put dust on their heads. It was a sign of mourning. And so we can see that this man that is coming to David is in fact mourning. He's mourning the death of Saul. But he comes to him and it says that he pays homage to David. So David begins his conversation with him. He goes, tell me what, what, what happened. What did you see that was going on? And what we begin to understand that this account that this Amalekite gives is different than the account that we see at the end of 1 Samuel. And so as I'm reading through this week, I'm like, well, something just doesn't add up. Like, how, how are we getting different stories? How does this happen? And so as we begin to dig in, what we begin to see is this Amalekite wants to, in a, in a hope to, to gain favor in a new king's eyes, he comes with what he believes David actually wants. So in verse 7, it says this. And when he looked behind him, he saw me. This is the man speaking to David. This is the Amalekite speaking to David about his 
supposed and alleged account with the king, with King Saul. He said, when he looked behind him, he saw me, he called me, he answered me, here I am. And he said to me, this is Amalekite speaking, who are you? And I answered, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me, stand beside me and kill me, for anguish has seized me, and yet my life still lingers. So I stood beside him and killed him because I was sure he could live, he could no longer live after he had fallen. And so what we see here is this Amalekite, he sees an opportunity. He sees an opportunity to gain favor in the eyes of David. He goes, hold on a second. This is the guy that Saul has been constantly trying to kill. This is the guy that we've seen in the past weeks that the people are just raving about. They're saying he's an incredible warrior. They love him. He has gained the love and the popularity of the Israel, the people of Israel. And so this Amalekite sees an opportunity. He sees an opportunity to maybe put himself up at a higher level. He goes, if I can give David what I think he wants, at this point, he's probably like, David is just, he's got to want to be king. He's got to want this. And so what he does is he finds a way to begin to shift the story so that it looks like he is the hero of the story so that David will bless him. And so in, 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 in verse 11 here, David has realized that, that Saul has died. And at this moment, David knows that years ago, God chose him and anointed him to become king of Israel. And I don't know exactly what David was feeling, but there's probably this moment where David, as he's growing in his character, as he's developing, he is getting excited to rule the kingdom one day. Like he's waiting for his moment. And some of you may know what this feels like, waiting for your moment. Maybe you're an athlete, or maybe you have a gifting musically, or you're able to play an instrument really well, and you are just waiting for your moment where you get the solo, or you get the lead part, or you get the call to be the starter. Maybe you know that one day, if you continue to develop yourself, you will get the call, and I know that if you are growing in that, you are, and I am, and I believe David is excited to finally get that call, to know that he gets to lead for us, it's that we get to start, that we get to lead our team, that we get to lead our friends, that we get to have the spotlight on us because we know we're going to hit our lines and we're going to do that part justice. And that's where David is. I believe that he's excited. God has anointed him. God has called him to this. And I believe that he is excited to rule, to be king. He knows what God is doing in his life and he's excited. But in this moment... This is where David has the opportunity to allow his true character to shine through. You know, for some of us, as we look at the person who's in our way, as we begin to identify those people that are in front of us, maybe it's the starter, or maybe it's the person who is in the, the first chair, or maybe it's the person who got the lead this year, maybe you're their, their backup, and all you want, you're just going, man, I really want to see them fail so that I have my opportunity to step up and lead and lead in the right way. Hey, they're not, we do this all the time. We challenge leadership all the time. We look at leadership and we go, they're not leading in the right way. And when I get my shot, I'm going to show them how they blew it. And I'm going to lead in such a great way. They're just going to be embarrassed that they even ever led. Like we do this, we look for things to add to our arsenal. We look for weapons so that we can somehow take them down. We look for these kinds of things all the time. 
and we look for them so that we can use them as a weapon against them so that we can finally get our shot. We may talk them down. We may rejoice when they blow it, when they screw up, when they get hurt. When it's our time, we finally have an opportunity. And David is finding himself in this position right now. But David's true character begins to shine through. It happens in verse 11. It says that David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all of his men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, for the people of the Lord of the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. I think this sets the tone for how we need to respond towards others. I mean, there are a lot of different things. There are a lot of different places that David could go. He could find out that the king is dead. He could throw a celebration announcing the coming of his kingdom, the coming of his reign. He could say, hey, the old, the old king's dead. Hey, it's time for us to shine through. I think what we see in David, he's constantly on the run. What we have to remember is the relationship that David had with Saul. I believe that David loved Saul, but for whatever reason, Saul hated David. David's response could be, I'm finally safe now. I don't have to live my life on the run for fear that Saul is coming after me. His response could be, hey, it's all about me now. It could be, hey, I'm finally safe. But what does David do to respond? How does his true character shine through? He mourns the death of Saul and of Jonathan. He mourns the death because he realizes that God had done things that were incredibly important in the life of Saul. He realized his love for Saul was great. He did not celebrate. He did not point to Saul and say, hey, remember when he blew it this way? Remember when he didn't follow through? Remember when he didn't obey God? Remember when he went and consulted the, 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 the witch, the medium? No, what he does is he responds with the essence of his heart. The internal things from his heart pour out of him. He mourns the death. It says, then David took hold of his clothes and tore them. So did all the men who were with him. That's his leadership. Other people are looking at David to see how they need to respond. Students, there are people all around you. Friends, siblings, classmates, who are looking to you to understand how they are supposed to respond in a lot of different areas. They look to you to see how they need to respond when something good or bad happens. And it's the same with David. And so what he does is he leads the people in godly character by saying, hey, we are going to mourn the death and the loss of our king. It says, and they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. David leads. His character shines through. He doesn't focus on himself here when he could. He knows that he's going to be king. He sees the opportunity. He sees what's coming for him. He sees his future. But what he says is he goes, blow. what we need to do is we need to focus on what's most important. And we are going to mourn the loss of a leader. We're going to mourn the loss of King Saul and his son. And so it says that all of his men followed along and they mourned as well. 
So the next day, verse 13, it says, And David said to the young man who told him, We know that it's the next day because it says that it, they fasted until evening, and Jonathan fasted for them, and they mourned and they wept. So this is the next day, verse 13. And David said to the young man who told him, Where did you come from? And he answered, I am the son of a sojourner, an Amalekite. David said to him, How is it that you were not afraid to put your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called uh, one of the young men and said, go execute him. And so this man, he, you know, David, David does the appropriate thing. He mourns the, the, the loss of King David. He mourns as he's realizing that, 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 that Saul, the king, and one of his best friends have died. They do that. And then the next morning he goes, you know what? Something sounds off. He goes, I want to follow up with this guy who came to me. And so he follows up with him. And here's the thing. I don't know if David knew the true, the, the, the authentic story versus this, this fake, this fabricated story that the Amalekite created. But he pulls him back in. He says to them, how is it that you are not afraid to put out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, go execute him. David understands that even though Saul was constantly coming after him, to take his life. He still understands that, that God himself anointed Saul to be king. He understands that the leaders and authorities over him, even though he may not like it, God appointed them and put him in that position. And so David's response was, I have to be obedient to those who God puts in authority of me and over me. And so he says to this Malachite, who are you to kill the, the, the one who God has anointed. As we read this, we might go like, well, hold on a second. I, this, doesn't, this doesn't make sense to me. Why would David kill this man? Didn't he do Saul a favor because Saul was getting ready to die? But what we need to understand is that in God's anointing, Saul was anointed to be king, and David sees this man as being disobedient to God. He sees this Amalekite, he sees his true motives. He sees that this Amalekite was trying to put himself ahead. I believe that David begins to see what's going on here. And so what he does is he orders that this, this man be executed. And it says, and he struck him down so that he died. Verse 16, and David said to him, your blood shall be on your head for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. This Amalekite was trying to, to put himself in a position where he was trying to act as if he was doing the thing that David really wanted. But what he didn't know, what this Amalekite did not, did not know was that David's heart was for Saul. And so David rightfully punishes him through execution. And so we continue to see what David's heart is and the character of his heart in verse 17 and beyond in this thing that David writes. It's a, it's a lament. A lament is crying out when you are in pain or you are mourning something. A lament is something that is given to pay homage, to give God our heart, to say, hey, this is what I'm really feeling. And so let's jump into this. Know this, too. As we look into, into the Psalms, David wrote a lot of the Psalms. There are a lot of different ways that David could have responded. 
There's a lot of different ways that David could have responded to Saul's death. He could have wrote a psalm of victory, knowing that God was calling him and that he would be the king. This could be viewed as a victory for David. But what David does instead is he pays homage and he shows his true heart. This man that was coming after him to kill him, this man who was in the throne when David really knew that it was his throne to be had, this is how David responds. His true character shows. It says this in verse 17. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son. And he said, it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the book of Jashar. And this is what he said. Notice that. He didn't just write this for his own lament. He wrote it so that others would understand how they need to grieve as well with the loss of their king and a prince. He says, your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. Your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the, of the uncircumcised exalt. And so what he started, he's starting to see, he goes, hey, we're going to keep this inside the nation of Israel. We don't want to give our enemies, a reason to be excited. We're gonna, we won't share this outside of our circle. We need to keep this tight so that we can mourn the loss of our king, but we don't want to give any encouragement to those who have killed him. Verse 21. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. What he's doing is is he's cursing the place in which Saul died. He's saying, let nothing good happen from this place. Let nothing good happen from this place. Let us curse this land because this is the place where our king has fallen. Notice that this is no no moment like in, uh, uh, in the Wizard of Oz, no hail, hail, The witch is dead. This is not hail, hail. The king is dead. It's my turn to reign. This is a moment where David is saying, no, we are going to curse the place where he died. We are going to not share this with our enemies because we need to mourn and we don't want to give them a feeling of a victory won. We want to curse the places. We don't like the fact that this happened. We are mourning. Let nothing good happen from these places where tragedy has happened. the end there, he, he points, he says, for, there's a, for the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. This is some more symbolism that we see here. The shield's anointing, the, the way that shields were, were, were developed um, in David's time is, is, is they were a hard surface that was covered with leather, and what they would do is they would take that leather and they would anoint it, they would rub it with oil. They would rub it with oil because it would protect the leather. It would protect it. It would make it slippery so that as a blow would come to the shield, it would be glanced off and not stri- it would not strike the shield directly. But what David is saying here is that it was not anointed with oil. He's pointing to the, the loss of anointing that Saul had from God. When God said, my anointing with you is no longer. And so he's pointing, he's saying, hey, the Lord is the protector 
He's using the symbolism to show the shield as how God protects his people. And when we do not find the anointing of God, when we are not being obedient to God, we cannot expect the full protection of God. When we are not living a life the way that God is calling us to. And he's saying that is the reason why Saul fell on Mount Goboa. Verse 22, from the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. He's pointing to the, to the fact that Saul and Jonathan were great warriors. He's, 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 he's hitting on high points from their life. In his lament, in his mourning, he's saying, hey, even though this is the guy that was in my way, he's pointing to the positive things of Saul's life. He's pointing to the places where Saul was a good king, where he helped the nation of Israel continue to move forward. And he speaks to Jonathan. He speaks to Jonathan in I said, the bow of Jonathan turned not back. What he's saying is he goes, Jonathan in battle, when, the, when it would get hard, he would not run away. He would not flee. Jonathan was courageous. He was a brave soldier. It points to Saul. It, it points to Saul. It says, the sword of Saul not re- returned not empty. It means he's a fierce warrior. His, he, he, when he drew out his sword, he killed many men. It never went back into the sheath empty. And so what he's doing is he's paying homage. He's pointing to the positives of Saul's reign, of Saul's king, kingdom. Says this, 23, Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death, they were not divided. He's talking about the relationship that Saul and Jonathan had with one another. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. He's continuing to help everybody see, hey, I know that I know that he wasn't perfect. He was not a perfect king, but he helped the nation of Israel take steps forward as we are becoming the kingdom that God is calling us to become says 24 you daughters of israel weep over saul who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet who put ornaments of gold on your apparel how the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle he's pointing to the prosperity that saul brought to the nation of israel while he was king david has every opportunity to say in this lament is is to to bring the the reality of of saul's faults to light and I think a lot of the times we do that. We see somebody who falls and we go and share that as fast as we can because we hope that that will move us forward, get us to the place where we think we deserve to be. When our, when our friend, when our teammate gets injured, it's, I, I, I'll never forget, it was like when, when Kevin Durant tore his Achilles in the finals, the crowd erupted. Their true character was shining through. They cared more about a win and a championship than a man. And we do this in our heart. We find out that that person got hurt. We're like, oh, baby, now it's my time. It is my time to shine. I've been waiting for this. I knew that it was mine to have. We find out that they got in trouble, that that, that the choices that they're making got back to mom and dad, and now there's punishment being executed by mom and dad. And we're like, yes. It's finally happening. Their true colors are coming out. But what does David do? His real character shines through because he says, yes, there were a lot of things and a lot of places where Saul may have failed, where he was not a good king. But what we need to do is I want to reflect on those places where he led us well. I don't think we do this a lot of the times, especially with the people who are in our way. 
says this. He says, Jonathan lies slain on the high places. I am distressed for you, my brother, Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. And what we need to understand here is he's pointing to Jonathan's selfless love. When he says that, he goes, your love for me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. He's reflecting on a mother's love for her children, the selfless love of a, that a mother has for her children, where she wants to see them succeed over her own personal success. Jonathan was the next in line to be king. But what Jonathan quickly did is he saw who David was. He executed selfless love, the love of a mother for a child. So much that Jonathan would renounce his impending reign so that David could have it. He's pointing to this here. David's reflecting. He goes, man, You were the son of the man who was trying to kill me, but your friendship was incredible. He's reflecting on this and realizing in this moment that he sees Jonathan has done more for him than he may have done for Jonathan. He says, very pleasant have you been to me. He speaks to him as his brother. He says, your love for me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women, the selfless kind of love that a mother displays towards her children. He goes, your love for me was far greater than that because you had an opportunity to be king. But what you did is you renounced that claim to the throne so that I could have favor, so that I would get into my reign sooner. That's the love that he's speaking. He says, how how the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. In this, David's character is shining through. Who David really is, is shining through in this moment. His heart is overflowing in his lament. He realizes, I'm fully, fully certain, he believes, he realizes what is happening. He realizes that he is finally getting to see the fruition of what he has been promised from 15, 20 years before when he was just a boy getting ready to slay a giant before the prophet Samuel when he says, you are the Lord's anointed anointed. He does not look at the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. We see the outflowing of David's heart in this moment where he gets what he has been promised and his response is, don't look at me. Let's look at King Saul. Let's look at the good things that he has done. Let's look at the people who have helped me get to where I am and my best friend, Jonathan. And I think students, sometimes we get so focused on ourselves. We don't see how it's influencing and impacting those around us. When we celebrate the injury or the downfall of a friend, how does that speak to those people around us? What does that say about your character when you celebrate the negativity in other people's lives? David's character is true because God looks within the inside and he sees his heart and he knows this is the kind of person that David is, the kind that will not put himself in front of others and especially celebrating their downfall. So my question for you this morning, students, is this. What does your heart look like? Who are you when no one is watching? What are your internal thoughts? What is your heart saying inside of you when no one else can hear it? What does your character look like? Does your outward expression match your internal feelings? Because we can cheer and we can support and we can say, yay, good for you. But if our heart is rotten and inside and we don't let that out, that's consuming us from the inside out. 
it will get to the point where it begins to leak out of us and others will see what our heart truly is. David had nothing to lose by showing his his true feelings about Saul, so he did just that. He showed his true feelings about Saul, that he loved him, that he cared for him. So my question is asked this morning, how do you respond in your life when the person in front of you just sees success? Internally, are you angry? Are you wishing that they would fail? Are you hoping that they get hurt? Are you hoping that they don't see what they hope to see so that it'll put you in that position? How do you react to those people? How do you react to the person that you perceive is holding the position or the status that you feel you deserve? David knew that he deserved this because God appointed him and anointed him for it. He knew what was coming. But what happened is his character, his heart showed through in this moment. So to my challenge for you, my challenge for all of us, myself included, is to examine our hearts. Ask God to shine light on those places where we can allow negativity, we can allow hate to just gurgle up inside of us, to brew and to fester and to get sick within this. Ask God to help you see that. Ask him to turn your heart. The way that we ask him to do that is we give our heart over to him. We say, Lord, here it is. Here's my heart. Do with it what you want. Don't allow me to get in the way of your plan. The great thing I love about David, and over the next couple weeks, we'll look into his entire kingdom, his entire reign. The thing I love about David is he gave his heart over to the Lord. And what we see in David is glimpses of the the incredible king that is yet to come in Jesus. And what we see is he becomes more like the person of Jesus. We see flecks of that and influences of that so that we can continue to read through and we can experience Jesus as we get into the Gospels. And we can say, that's the heart that I want. I don't want the heart of David. I want the heart of Jesus. Because David is just a small glimpse of who Jesus is. So give your heart over to God. Say, here it is. Do with it as you see fit and don't let me get in the way of that. Students, who are you when no one is watching? And what do you say inside when no one else can hear? Let's give our hearts to let's give our hearts over to Jesus. Let's give it over to God so that he can do what he sees fit in our lives. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. God, I thank you how you convict our hearts, that you help us see those things that we miss. Lord, I pray that that our character would be a byproduct of our heart. And that, Father, we could give it over to you and trust that you will do what you see fit in our lives, that our hearts would become more like you and less like this world, that our hearts would be filled with love and less hate that we would want to see success in those around us and not failure. Father, help our hearts. We give them to you knowing that you will lead us to you through your son. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your conviction. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for giving us your son so that we can know what a heart of love looks like. Thank you for your love. 
Thanks for listening to the Green Student Ministries High School Podcast of the Chaplain Green. If you have any questions, feel free to contact us at gsm at thechapel.life or follow us on Instagram at Green Student Ministries. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.